Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Mod Path Chat, the official podcast of modern pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the Chair of Pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Today we celebrate our one-year anniversary of MyPath Chat. On behalf of Modern Pathology and ASCAP, uh, I would like to thank our audience and guests for making this podcast series such a success. In our first year, we have enjoyed thousands of downloads and a most rewarding social media engagement. Keep it that way. A virtual cheers to all. So let's focus on today's business. In this 30th episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by two experts in the field of gen pathology, Dr. Natalia Buza and Dr. Pei Hui from Yale University. They will share with us their experience and educational pearls on the role of genotyping in the diagnosis and prognostication of uh, gestational trophoblastic disease. Uh, It's a topic that uh, we don't deal with every day, but nevertheless, a very important topic. And our guests have have, uh, taken it uh, a long way and uh, from the beginning of doing some molecular uh, diagnostics for that. So thank you. Natalia and Pei for accepting my invitation. Thank you for having us today. Yes, thank you, George. It's a great pleasure to to be on this episode and and share with your listeners uh, our perspective on um, the uh, gestational trophoblastic disease. Excellent. Uh, So let's start, and uh, any of you can tackle uh, these uh, points in any order you wish, but it will be a good idea uh, for our audience to to give a little primer on what are these molecular underpinnings that position gestational uh, disease and gestational tumors uh, to be exploited by molecular diagnostics. Um, All right. I think that's probably a topic I want to give you a, a first answer. Uh, some little bit background. So I think, you know, uh, quite common in academic medicines, you're challenged with a clinical problem. Then you ask a question uh, followed by searching uh, for an answer. So some 20 years ago, when I came back from Memorial after my fellowship, I just was just starting to sign out on the GYN. At that time, the diagnosis of molar pregnancies was uh, quite difficult and problematic for two reasons. Uh, so number one is that the, the molar gestations um, are now evacuated in the first trimester. 
and often actually before 10 weeks of gestation. Therefore, the clinical and the pathological features of molar pregnancies are not so well developed and quite uh, overlapping with many non-molar gestations, making the diagnosis quite challenging. Number two is that the diagnosis molar pregnancy at that time is primarily based on the histology with very limited ancillary studies to help with. One of the uh, one uh, ancillary tests used by many is the DNA ploid analysis. If it turns out to be a triploid, then it's considered as evidence of partial mole. But you know that this is quite uh, problematic as the mere presence of triploidy is not really equivalent to partial mole. As estimated, a third of triploid missed abortions are actually non-molar. So Mm -hmm. you can see the demand for improvement is obvious. However, I think we know very well the pathogenesis of molar pregnancies uh, was well established back to early 70s. And complete moles inherits only the one paternal genome and the partial moles inherits one extra paternal genome, the one haploid paternal chromosome set. The question is so obvious, why we cannot use this genetic information to improve our diagnostic accuracy? At that time, I was looking at the literature and actually indeed, there were a few uh, proof of concept research papers on the topic, but uh, there were no really uh, uh, good clinical validation papers. So I remember actually back to 2005, Jennifer Hahn, that then at the MGH, was helping me setting up this uh, STR genotyping for tissue identity testing to resolve the tissue contamination floater issues for general practice. However, soon I finished the validation for that purpose, the resolving power of STR genotyping in ascertaining parental genetic composition is so powerful and obvious that this would be an excellent answer to the question for the molar diagnosis. Very well put. So just for our audience, uh, STR short tandem repeats and and, uh, the same technique that use in in transplants, in bone marrow transplants and uh, identity uh, testing, and you found the the benefit of applying it. So my understanding, it's probably better to... uh, the, your review that that really uh, the focus of of today's p- podcast uh, deal with two different uh, applications within gestational diseases the hydatiform mole that you were talking about but also separately in gestational uh, tumors where where these uh, genotyping techniques uh, uh, have benefit in prognostication and and diagnosis so let's start with the first uh, with uh, partial mole versus complete mole uh, how do you in your day to day practice now. Uh, and I, uh, I refer our audience to a great algorithm uh, in the paper that you put. Uh, what, do you, what test do you order? How do you navigate uh, that diagnosis, uh, knowing uh, what you just said, that up to a third are really uh, can, can be triploid and not, not high detriform walls? So uh, any one of you can answer that question. Natalia, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, I, I can uh, certainly go ahead. So I, I would also um, comment on one of your earlier points, George, that um, these are rare uh, diseases. I would, I would say that actually uh, products of conceptions are very common specimens in the, uh, in the histology lab and in, in GYM pathology. So we, we do see a lot of these and oftentimes the uh, morphologic features of the chorionic villi raise suspicion uh, for partial or complete mole. And as uh, Pei alluded uh, to, um, 
partial mole is the one that is particularly problematic. You know, for a complete mole, um, that can also be difficult, especially if it's a very early complete mole when the villus hydrops is not well developed. You don't see that much trophoblast hypoplasia. Um, so you really have to have a high index of suspicion based on other features such as the myxoid hypercellular villus stroma. Um, Compared to partial moles that um, have a lot of uh, mimics that are non-molar, you know, where um, the villi have uh, an irregular contour, they may have some trophoblast pseudo-inclusions, a little bit of hydrops um, and enlargement. Those features can be seen in a variety of non-molar um, gestations, such as trisomy syndromes. They are probably the most um, um, notorious uh, mimics. You know, mm -hmm. trisomy 21, mm -hmm. 18, um, also um, other conditions less commonly as uniparental disomy of um, chromosome 11 or um, or just simply a non-molar hydropic abortion for, for um, you know, degenerative reasons or other unknown um, um, reasons. So, so there is definitely um, a lot of morphologic mimics and um, the algorithmic approach you mentioned um, can be um, used in a, in a variety of ways, depending on the resources. Um, since we have the genotyping available here, what we typically do is uh, um, any type of um, morphologic suspicion for a molar gestation, we go directly to genotyping and, uh, and that will give us the exact genetic answer. Is it a, a um, diploid? Um, androgenetic only genome, that's a complete mole, um, or is it a, a diandric monogynic triploidy, that's a partial mole. Um, An added benefit is that oftentimes um, um, trisomy syndromes can be identified or at least suggested based on the genotyping result, although the panel doesn't include all of the chromosomes, but it does include most of the um, um, Chromosomes that are that are commonly involved in trisomy. So it's more like a one-stop shop uh, by by going right. the genotyping the STR first. Right, and then there are other um, um, ways to apply the algorithm if you uh, um, have the immunohistochemistry available, but not genotyping. Then you could start with immunohistochemistry for p57, and depending on the results you may be able to confirm the uh, complete mole if there is absence of P57 or if P57 expression is retained, then you need to uh, go for an additional step, you know, to, to do genotyping to rule out a partial mole. So at least you triage the ones that uh, P57 uh, are lost and uh, and you can you can stop there and and a lot of our audience is international maybe in places where uh, genotyping are not available so so that's uh, i think it's it's very helpful to to look at this great algorithm appreciate it. very very well done so uh, we can uh, anything else you want to say about uh, the algorithm before we move to the trophoblastic tumors Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, um, I think before we move on to the tumors, just uh, still uh, within hydrotidiform moles, I would say that um, the Genotyping will also uh, provide, even for complete moles, although you can make the diagnosis with immunohistochemistry only, but genotyping will give you the additional information, whether it's homozygous or heterozygous. And um, a, a recent study uh, uh, led by Pei um, and, and a couple other prior studies also showed that there is prognostic significance. Heterozygous complete moles uh, um, have a higher risk of um, persistent gestational trophoblastic disease or subsequent um, trophoblastic mm-hmm. neoplasia. Excellent. So not only diagnostic, but prognostic when you establish the complete uh, hydratiform wall. Thank you. So uh, let's, let's uh, move on to, uh, to the gestational uh, trophoblastic tumors. Uh, and maybe, Pei, you can, uh, you can tackle that. Uh, my understanding is there it has a role in telling, is this really gestational versus uh, 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 other, uh, other uh, origins as, as germ cell tumors? Or we all know carcinomas can, can have a chorio-like uh, differentiation. So uh, uh, take it for us and, and guide us. And there is a similar algorithm for that uh, that you shared from your experience. Uh, yes, sure. So I, I think there are two points that uh, probably relates to this question. Number one is about the diagnosis, to establish a correct diagnosis. Number two is about the prognosis. Let me talk uh, first about the diagnosis. I think in the recent uh, three or four years, we encountered I guess, three uh, cases of such where young patient, uh, actually, it's another modern past paper published just a couple of years ago. Uh, three young patients, uh, I think they are in the 40s. They presented as a, primarily as a pulmonary tumor, um, single or multiple nodules. 
And these three uh, cases really enlighten us about the importance of uh, correct diagnosis. It turns out uh, all presented at the emergency room with chest pains or even a pulmonary failure. And the uh, two diagnoses turns out to be a gestational related. One is related to partial mold. The other one is actually related to remote uh, uh, term pregnancy. The other one was, uh, the third one is really uh, illustrating in the ways that it was um, presented as a single pulmonary nodule. I remember it's about 9.3 centimeter. Hmm. And... uh, uh, she, although she was a heavy smoker, but was not at that time. Uh, the diagnosis came uh, from the general practice uh, setting, and uh, was considered that uh, actually it's a lung primary. And they subject these tumors for next generation sequencing. They didn't find any mutations, and they did uh, ROS and ALK fish was turned out to be negative. So it turns out, actually, that that time, a GYN consultation was made. And uh, I believe this is actually Natalia was the first to lay the eye on it. And it was suggesting, well, we need to rule out, uh, actually, this could be um, metastatic uh, choreal carcinoma. So at that time, only actually a serum FCG was ordered. It turned out to be elevated uh, over 300. So how to confirm it? It's actually, for us, it's quite easy with, uh, with the genotyping. You know, all gestational tumors inherit the unique paternal alleles, which is different. You won't find it in the, in the patient herself. So it's a very simple application. You apply the genotyping to the tumor, compare with any normal tissue of the patient. You compare them. And so you normal are, and tumor pair. You do genotyping. Yes, you pair them up. You clearly will see the unique paternal alleles in the tumor. That is the ultimate confirmation of a diagnosis of gestational uh, neoplasma. And also gives you the hint, what is the antecedent pregnancy giving rise to that tumor, which mm-hmm. is also very important. That's related to my second answer to mm-hmm. this. So we also encountered uh, early times, uh, this was almost about six, seven years ago, a 22 years old young patient presented as clinically as ectopic pregnancy. They went in, tried to evacuate the, the ectopic pregnancy, only found out that actually it's a very solid necrotic tumor involving the broad ligament and ovarian surface. And so that was a suspect actually at that time, you said, okay, on the frozen, even permanent, said, well, this is a choreal carcinoma. Again, the question arises that, well, yes, it's choreal. Could that be a gestational arising from ectopic? Or this could be a germ cell tumor. So -hmm. how to answer that question? I don't think you can answer that question by morphology or by immunochemistry. Again, the only ultimate answer to this question is doing genotyping. Same principle, uh, looking for the paternal unique alleles in the tumor. But in this particular case, Turns out, actually, the genotyping of the tumor matches perfectly to the fallopian tube. That is essentially confirmed, actually. This is a germ cell, pure, pure choreal carcinoma. Wow. So, yeah, so first making a... That would be diagnosis. impossible to guess because the first thing you would... Guess. Absolutely. And this actually was a paper a long time ago with Natalia as the first author in the uh, Egypt journal. So making this diagnosis ultimately very important. We know the... The, the prognosis treatment options for there are all three possibilities, gestational choreal carcinoma and uh, germ cell tumor and a somatic carcinoma with choreal differentiation. These are drastically different uh, animals. Uh, clinically, you treat it quite differently. Uh, the prognosis also differently. 
So this is a you know very instrumental observation of three cases in recent uh, history you know at our practice. Another great modern path paper to refer. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. Very, very well put. So, so then the second part is is uh, you you started touching on what is yeah. the origin of that and and prognostication. Yes. So as I also alluded to you, uh, making a correct diagnosis is very important. Uh, because separating gestational chorio from non-gestational chorio, that actually uh, uh, calls for different uh, uh, risk assessment and treatment options. For somatic carcinomas, germ cells is completely different treatment options. And uh, it doesn't involve actually so-called uh, WHO or FIGO, gestational uh, trophoblastic tumor scoring, risk scoring scheme. But for gestational, we have to rigorously follow this um, uh, scoring system into a high-risk group and low-risk group. Mm -hmm. But however, to to achieve that, there are uh, five or six parameters you have to look into it, two of which, number one is the antecedent, the index gestation. Number two is the interval time between the tumor uh, development and index gestation. That's the interval time. The problem is that, and nowadays, the postmolar tumor diagnosis, often we don't have a tissue diagnosis because, you know, clinically, clinicians follow the patient by serum HCG. Mm -hmm. Serum HCG keeps rising or plateaued. They're treating as uh, gestational trophoblastic neoplasia. They're going to treat accordingly with chemo without actually tissue diagnosis. So with this setting, in many cases, like the three cases, as I mentioned, presenting in the lung tumor, we really don't have the accurate uh, uh, knowledge about antecedent pregnancy if patient has multiple gestations. Actually, one of the cases turns out to be the truth. Truth is that the patient arrived, the tumor, a metastatic chorio, arose from a term placenta some years ago. Wow. So, how, so that becomes crucial because if you don't know the antecedent pregnancy, you know, the index pregnancy, you cannot determine whether the tumor arising from co- a complete molar pregnancy, partial mole, or complete from a arising from a term uh, placenta. It has a completely different risk scores. And also without that knowledge, you don't have an accurate time interval to integrate you into your scoring system. So here comes uh, another play by genotyping. Genotyping can precisely identify the number one, the index pregnancy. Number two, once that is established, you can accurately assign the interval time for the, for the tumor. Therefore, you can have really have a, uh, an accurate scoring score, gestational choreal carcinoma. And then that de- de- will determine whether the patient is receiving a single uh, agent chemotherapy for low-risk choreal carcinoma or multiple agents for a high-risk uh, uh, counterpart. Fascinating. So not only diagnostics, it's guide therapy and and, and management, yes. uh, similar to uh, to other great stories in where molecular diagnostics uh, more and more and uh, and leading us to more precise precision pathology approach. Uh, great. Uh, so uh, any anything else? Where do you see? Uh, you think the field matured? You, you what's your what's your both of you? take on this? Is this how these two algorithms uh, probably not going to change for a while? Or is there something you're, uh, you're preparing in, in, in your lab that, that you're gonna, it's going to impact how we, we do these things in the future? Well, uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think there's, there's a, um, 
room for for uh, future uh, uh, improvements. So, uh, for sure, you know, if if genotyping was uh, available at uh, more institutions, you know, that that would certainly help the accuracy. And uh, I think another key point is. Um, you know, moving forward to to when when assessing uh, um, the outcomes and the um, clinical um, uh, implications, we have to uh, use the precise techniques for future studies. Because I think when you look at the literature from the uh, uh, older papers, it's really um, not not all the studies, even the clinical studies, were based on accurate uh, genetic information. Even the risk scoring system. I was thinking, as, as Pei mentioned, the WHO or FIGO scoring, um, basically, even what we know about the um, um, in time interval from the index gestation or the index gestation itself, those studies or those data are really based on, on, on prior observations that were not always uh, using um, precise genetic uh, um, diagnostic methods. So I think there is, there's a lot of uh, room for, for future studies to, to um, look at precisely classified patient cohorts and see if those older um, observations still apply or whether we need to change anything in that. Um, so are you referring to, to more like harmonization and standardization of what uh, sets of STRs, uh, what approach and techniques, because if they're variable, then, then you can't really compare. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. Um, so give Natalia's background, just I think uh, I want to add two things. Why is that if you look at the, uh, the field, actually, we, what, after we actually published our uh, clinical validation paper back to uh, 2008 or 2010-ish, I think after which in the next decade, I think multiple uh, academic institutions have actually adapted uh, genotyping uh, for you know, routine practice. And also commercial operations. I know, you know even now the ARAP and Neogenomics, actually, they are actually running this test for a while. Hmm. Uh, I think, you know, if you look at the, 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 the field now, I think it's a relatively mature. Uh, I think there's no doubt that the genotyping is the gold standard in the diagnosis and classification of molar pregnancies. Uh, I think uh, that's it. But how, as Natalia alluded in the algorithm, I think their improvement uh, depends on the resources and your demand. Uh, clinically. Uh, the other I wanted to point it out, uh, if you look at the WHO Blue Book, this is a newer one, 2020. Uh, so WHO is now advocating the, the importance of ancillary studies, including genotyping uh, in diagnosis molar pregnancies and the prognostic stratification of tumors. In particular, I think the WHO advocates that for a definitive diagnosis, partial mouse, you need the DNA genotyping. Uh, so, uh, as you can uh, appreciate, I think the field is just moving uh, to the front of uh, using genotyping, uh, not only for the molar pregnancies, but also for the uh, gestational trophoblastic tumors. Thank you. Very, very helpful. I, I just, uh, since you mentioned the WHO, 
I want to uh, uh, inform our audience that uh, Faye is uh, is on the editorial board of the uh, female genital uh, track uh, WHO Blue Book, fourth and fifth edition, and uh, both of our guests contributed uh, to, to the Blue Book. Uh, so uh, we really could have not picked uh, better experts uh, to share with us uh, the, this uh, today's episode. So thank you, Natalia and Pei, for accepting, uh, for uh, doing this. And uh, for those who are yearning for a deeper dive, I uh, refer you to uh, their comprehensive review on the topic that was just published, I think, online in June in Modern Pathology. So uh, Natalia and Pei, it has been a pleasure to have uh, both of you here as my guest and uh, hope to see you in future episodes uh, with uh, being the prolific authors that you are to, uh, to, for our journal. Thank you, George. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It was a great pleasure. Excellent. So long. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of Modern Pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Netto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.